Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I am Joe McCormick. And today we are going to begin a multi-episode dive into the world of diamonds. Uh, so diamonds, this is a topic that is, it's probably been in sort of the background for a while. We've, we've considered, you know, we know that there are a lot of interesting things about diamonds. But I know for my own part, um, there's like this surface level resistance to covering diamonds because the first thing that comes to mind is just sort of like the ubiquitous uh, vision of diamonds that you encounter in diamond TV commercials. And mm. it just kind of, it, you know, it certainly drives home this idea that diamonds are something everyone wants. Diamonds are something everyone needs, but also diamonds end up looking like just this ridiculously mainstream square thing. And I'm just resistant to the idea that there might be anything cool about them. The elegance, the grandeur, the luxury. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But when you dive deeper, uh, both in terms of the, the subject matter and also the, the history of diamonds, um, there's a lot more there. And so we have a number of different angles to approach in this series, including some some basic reminders about what diamonds are. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I thought a, a nice way to sort of kick this off would just be to, to talk a little bit about just like how we perceive diamonds, um, not even like, you know, overtly, like let's sit down and think about diamonds, but just sort of like, you know, subconsciously how we've grown up processing them. Um, uh, because yeah, they're, they're highly, uh, referenced in our language. Um, you know, they're, they're valuable, obviously. Why are they valuable? Well, the, the various answers to that. But for my own part, I was thinking about like, growing up, diamonds were first of all, something that you know, my mother, various female members of the family had, but they were too precious for, you know, me to touch or, you know, look at too much. And then if you did look at them, and I have to acknowledge this will vary depending on your family's particular jewels, but 
they never looked like much to me. They, they, especially as a kid, I'd look at one and it's like, okay, it's a little speck of nothing. But then the light catches it just right and it's brilliant. It's amazing. But then you look back at it, okay, no, just a little rock or something. And then watching movies, I would, I would know two things about diamonds. First of all, they're super valuable because people are always trying to steal them. And once you steal them, you can just like turn them in for money somewhere, I guess. And finally, and this often is seen in the same movies, you can take a diamond and cut through any pane of glass instantly by tracing a circle on that pane of glass, you know, and it just neatly falls out into your hand or you use a little suction cup to pull it out, right? I assume that's not really true. It doesn't work that way. Is that, have you ever looked into that? <laughs> I believe this has been myth busted. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so do not, do not attempt. But it looks super easy in various caper films and TV shows and cartoons. Yeah, I'm trying to think about my, the early significance of diamonds to me, apart from them just being like a cash equivalent MacGuffin in, in you know, mm-hmm. high stories and stuff. You know, the bad guy in the movie always wants the diamonds. Get me the diamonds. Uh, in real life, I remember when I was young, I think I was a little confused about the difference between a diamond and a glass prism because they looked the same to me and the glass prism was bigger and could cast, you know, the, the rainbows all over the wall. And so it, it wasn't quite clear to me, I guess, what was better about this really tiny diamond as opposed to the huge diamond hanging in the window. Yeah, because the prism, like you said, is is a, is a lot bigger. It seems to work a lot better. Uh well, caveat on that in a bit. Uh, but but then more to the point, super cheap. You can buy prisms all day, uh, you know, especially the plastic variety, and uh, you're not going to break the bank. Uh, but then again, apart from just the knowledge that a lot of uh, people had them, you know, on like their engagement ring or their or their wedding ring, I guess usually engagement ring, um, I, I didn't really have much real world consciousness of them. They were, they were primarily something in fiction. Yeah. And then, yeah, the TV ads, too, though, I, I I remember thinking as a kid, it's like you'd see these images of like, all right, you're in love, you're married, you need to give more diamonds. And I and part of you kind of like ask the question, wow, if I'm ever uh, a married person, will I just be buying diamonds all the time? Like I've apparently got to buy the first diamond and then just diamonds every year thereafter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah, it just it's, I think it's amusing that diamonds can be so all over the place. You know, they're valuable, but they can also seem kind of plain and lame. They're sparkling. Um, they, But also sometimes the way that we describe them and think of them, they may be imbued with spiritual truth. They might be a physical manifestation of love, a symbol of human greed, of horror and inequality, a, a magical thief's tool, and uh, also the ultimate in just gaudy excess. And I feel like even the geologic truth of the diamond uh, which we'll get into later. It feels so weird. Uh, perhaps this weirdness, uh, at least for me anyway, and I think maybe for a lot of like film viewers of the time, uh, you might think back to a very memorable scene in Superman 3, in which Christopher Reeve's Superman picks up a chunk of coal and crushes it in his fist and then opens his fist to reveal not only a diamond, but a fully cut diamond. <laughs> So it's got the what the the facets on it. That's not mm-hmm. how diamonds come straight out of the earth. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, they're usually not made by Superman. So I don't right. know. I guess with Superman, everything's fair game. He would do this in the comics too. Apparently, I had to research this, but this is a, a Superman gag that goes way back. Um, I don't know if he ever like makes any use of it, or it's just kind of like he's always just kind of showing off. Maybe to one up Jesus. I'm not sure, but um, <laughs> but yeah, he'll just crush that coal, open his fist. Bam, diamond, priceless, already cut. 
ready to go. It makes me wonder about a Superman plot line where the villains are like diamond cartels that are worried Superman is going to increase the supply too much. <laughs> yeah, or like um, villains who are like, oh no, Superman's on his way to shut down our operation. Like, quick, spread coal everywhere just in case he just haphazardly makes a few diamonds. We may come out ahead in the end. But yeah, to your point, he could, he could like Goldfinger the diamond market, couldn't he? Yeah. Oh, no, wait, that would be a reverse Goldfinger. That's right. right? It would be a reverse Goldfinger, yes. (laughs) So, yeah, I had this scene popping around my head. I had the diamond commercials. And those diamond commercials, again, they try to convince you even at a young age that diamonds are life. Diamonds diamonds are everything worth having in life. They reflect life. Uh, And that's why I think it's going to be great that our first major avenue of investigation here concerns another idea that, that diamonds just might be death. Right. So this is actually what first got me interested in the topic of diamonds for, for a series today. I wanted to begin by looking at a weird question. And the question is, are diamonds poisonous? So to be clear, like we're not, this is not getting into very valid discussions of things like blood diamonds and all. This is the idea that there is something about the diamond that is in and of itself poisonous to the human body. Yeah, poisonous if ingested in one form or another. Now, before we get to the answer uh, to this question, I need to back up and explain the origin of the question, which is that a few months ago, you may remember we were doing a series on the shadow, the shadow in history, art, science, and so forth. Uh, I think this was during the last uh, October. And one of the things we ended up talking about in that series on the shadow was an optical effect known as the Heiligen shine. This is a real world phenomenon in which people sometimes see the shadow of their own head surrounded by a bright halo of light when they happen to be standing over a field of grass in the early morning. And there might be other conditions that create the same effect, but that's one of the most common ways people see it. Uh, Now, you can go back and listen to that episode if you want the full explanation of how this halo arises from the interplay of sunlight, grass, and dew. The relevant fact about it for today is that the Heiligenschein is also sometimes called Cellini's halo, and it gets this name from one of the early figures to notice and mention it in writing, and that is a 16th century Italian goldsmith and sculptor named Benvenuto Cellini, one of the weirdest and most <laughs> fascinating characters I have come across while researching for this show. I'm, I am... Uh, full steam ahead on the Benvenuto Cellini train now. I kind of want to go back and like read the entire memoirs. I might do that. So Benvenuto Cellini lived from 1500 to 1571. And though he is remembered for his artworks, which include uh, an almost absurdly ornate golden salt cellar. We talked about this uh, when he came up in that previous episode. Uh, He made that for Francis I, the king of France at the time. Uh, And also a large bronze sculpture of Perseus holding up the severed head of Medusa, which is one of the sculptures in the covered gallery that's at the edge of the uh, Piazza della Signora, which is the big square in the center of Florence. Rob, I've got a picture of, uh, of both these artworks for you to look at here if you want. Um, while he is known for these, these artworks, he is known today, I think, at least as much for his bizarre, fascinating, grandiose, and almost certainly heavily embellished autobiography, which is just packed full of these weird, passionate, rousing tales, primarily about how awesome he is, 
Uh, we get stories of Cellini lauded by kings and queens for his unique genius. Uh, Cellini visited by angels who write secret heavenly words on his forehead. Cellini single-handedly fighting off gangs of bandits. Cellini falsely imprisoned. Cellini hatching and executing a daring prison break from Castle San Angelo in Rome. Uh, and even in describing the Heiligenschein, the, the glow around the shadow's head, Cellini seems to believe it to be a, a sign of God's special providence toward him rather than like an optical effect that anyone would experience in the same circumstances. But as I recall from the previous episode, he was like, many people have observed this. When, 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 when I asked them, they're like, yes, I see the halo uh, above your head, around your head. You, you are chosen by God, clearly. We all agree. Yeah, I showed it to other people and they believe me. In fact, this is a theme I've noticed in the parts of his memoirs I've read. He often is like, somebody else saw the thing I did and they they agreed that it was magnificent and they told me I was special. <laughs> uh, so, Rob, I thought you would appreciate this too. We also get a story of Cellini meeting at least one mythical monster in the story, which is the salamander. So, when Cellini was a child of five years old, he, he tells that his father was playing the viola beside a fire of oak logs in the basement of their house when his father saw something in the fire and then made his children come and look, and little Benvenuto saw a lizard dancing in the heart of the flame, uh, and his father told him that it was the mythical salamander, the elemental beast of fire, and he saw it. Oh, excellent. You know, I... Uh, now that I've thought about it a little bit, I think tomorrow's monster fact may have to be the salamander. But um, but but uh, real quick, I think that I have read before that some of these myths about the the, the salamander, and then again we have to point out like a duality here. There's this idea of a mythical fire lizard, and then there's the actual salamander, mm -hmm. and the connecting tissue seems to be that there were accounts of burning damp logs that. And in reality, either contained a salamander or, you know, had a salamander clinging to the underside of it. You'll frequently find salamanders in, you know, boggy or marshy environments underneath such a log. Uh, but if you were to take such a log, throw it on the fire, uh, and you, you would see some sort of little creature squirming there. Oh, it's, it's some sort of, it's clearly it's made of fire. That's why it's in the fire. Uh, no, it's just a salamander that was on the log you threw in. Now, why you're throwing in super damp logs, I don't know, maybe you just don't have a lot and maybe the fire's fully raging at that point and therefore you can throw something a little damp on there. That That is an interesting possibility. I, I hadn't thought about it that way. Uh, but yeah, maybe somebody actually did accidentally get some salamanders in the fire. More on that tomorrow. More on that tomorrow. Okay, okay. In the case of this story, I, having read it uh, from the the autobiography, I really can't tell if this is something that makes more sense as there actually was some sort of creature in there and they just misinterpreted what it was, or if the, I don't know, they were just you know looking into fire and seeing things in the, in the shapes. That's, that's one of the, the compounding factors here, right? Is that uh, humans love staring into fires. And if you stare into fires long enough, you, you, your imagination can allow you to see things. And then if you have a, a preexisting uh, cultural notion that there is some sort of, magical fire lizard in there oh, you might just see it anyway all of that to say that while benvenuto cellini is a fascinating and in some ways important historical figure we should not take anything in his autobiography at face value as history or science uh I th the, you just read it and you get the feeling even without you know comparing it to external evidence like okay there's obviously some embellishment going on here 
But to come back to the diamond question, one of the many, many weird stories Cellini tells uh, about his time in prison is about a supposed attempt on his life via poison made out of shattered diamonds. So to set the stage, in this passage, Cellini is hanging out in prison one of the multiple times he's imprisoned in the story. Uh, he has just written a sonnet that will prove his innocence. Like, he's written a sonnet that is so virtuous and indicative of his lack of criminality that he believes the constable had it sent to the Pope for review <laughs> with the implication that, like, when the Pope sees this poem I wrote, then they'll have to release me because they'll know I couldn't have done it. But suddenly the the friendly constable in the prison dies and he is replaced by the the constable is replaced by his brother. And at this point, Cellini believes that a group of his enemies uh, sort of like seize the moment and conspire to kill him by poison. And another thing is that Cellini is frequently making references to conspiracies of enemies against him. He seems to constantly think that he's got a bunch of enemies who are out to get him. And it's not exactly clear to me how much truth there is to this. There, there might be, but I, it's hard to tell. So he describes their plot as follows. And the translation of uh, Cellini's autobiography I'm going to read for here is by Thomas Roscoe. This was published back in the, in the 19th century. So Cellini writes... They at first thought of mixing with my meat the powder of a pounded diamond. This is not a poison of itself, but is so excessively hard that it retains its acute angles, differing from other stones, which, when they are pounded, entirely lose the sharpness of their particles and become round. The diamond alone preserves the acuteness of its angles, hence it follows that when it enters the stomach with the meat and the operation of digestion is to be performed, the particles of the diamond stick to the cartilages of the stomach and the bowels, and as the newly received food is impelled forward, the minute parts of the diamond which adhere to those cartilages in process of time perforate them, and this causes death, whereas every other sort of stone or glass when mixed with meat is incapable of sticking to the coat of the stomach and of consequence is voided with the food. This doesn't sound like a pleasant poison uh, to <laughs> No, this is horrible. <laughs> no, he's saying that... Uh, I don't he's distinguishing it somehow from the concept of poison, which I, I don't know. I mean, either way, it's something that ingested harms you. But maybe the other idea is that a poison is something that though I don't even I don't think Cellini in his time would have had these concepts, but is killed by way of some like chemical metabolism mm -hmm. uh, where this this is killed because like literally it's just like pieces stabbing you on the inside. It's like swallowing a bunch of needles or something, Ugh. except on an incredibly tiny scale. Uh, so he's saying, you know, it's it's mechanically killing you from the inside rather than chemically killing you from the inside. Mm -hmm. And it truly does sound horrible. However, Cellini says that he escapes death from the intended plot as a result of his enemies bungling their plan. So he says that one of the conspirators uh, is the, was the supplier of the diamond. So that, that conspirator gets the diamond um, and he gives it to another one of the conspirators who is supposed to pound it into a powder. And that powder is going to be used to poison him. But this second guy who is supposed to pound the diamond, being broke and greedy, 
kept the diamond and swapped it out for a different gem of lesser value, which he pounded and then handed over for the purpose of the murder. So here we pick up again with Cellini's narrative. He says, On the day that it was administered to me, being Good Friday, they put it into all my victuals, into the salad, the sauce, and the soup. I ate very heartily, as I had had no supper the night before, and it happened to be a holiday. I indeed felt the meat crash under my teeth. Ugh. Mm but never once dreamt of the villainous designs of my enemies. When I had done dinner, as there remained a little of the salad on the dish, I happened to fix my eyes on some of the smallest particles remaining. I immediately took them, and advancing to the window, upon examining them by the light, recollected the unusual crashing above mentioned. Then, viewing the particles with attention, I was inclined to think, as far as my eye could judge, that a pounded diamond had been mixed with my victuals. So, Cellini knows he's going to die, and he prays to God. However, upon examining the grains further, he realizes that they're actually not quite indestructible to him. He can sort of crack and crunch them with a small knife. And that means they are not actually made of diamond. Uh, and uh, because a diamond, he thinks he would not be able to crush with his small knife, but this other gem he would. And then he says, okay, if they're another gem, they're not actually able to injure me. It would have to be diamond powder for it to work. And so I think he sort of like deduces the whole plot and how it was bungled here. <laughs> <laughs> um uh but but oh there's a good twist here though he he at first shows evidence of the attempted poisoning to another prisoner a bishop of pavia who is in prison on account of quote plots and intrigues and he allows this bishop in the in the cell over uh to think that cellini has been successfully poisoned with a real diamond and only has a few months to live, and uses this to get the bishop to share his presumably better quality bishop food with Cellini. <laughs> and by the way, this is by no means the only story that Cellini tells about plots against his life. It's not even uh, the only attempted poisoning. There's another story where he claims that enemies tried to poison his food with mercuric chloride, at the time known as corrosive sublimate, which definitely is poisonous in reality, but according to Cellini, they didn't give him a big enough dose. So they poisoned him with it. Instead of killing him, it only made him sick to his stomach and cured his syphilis. <laughs> oh, man. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. 
Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So anyway, to come back to the question at hand, I was really fascinated by this story, and I wondered if there was any truth to Cellini's ideas about the lethal effect of eating ground-up diamonds. And I'm going to get into some more details here, but as best I can tell, the answer is probably no, but I'm not going to get going to give a no with such confidence that I, that you get the green light to go eat some diamond powder. <laughs> I'd still be cautious about it. Yeah, yeah, do not do not do that. Because one thing that is clear is Cellini is far from the only person in history to advance this notion. Uh, It has been held by many uh, in many different cultures, times and places throughout world history that eating diamonds is poisonous. Though, interestingly, it also in other contexts has been diamonds have been regarded as medicine. 
So to further explore this urban legend about diamond-based poisons, the best source I found was a book called Diamonds, An Early History of the King of Gems from Yale University Press, 2018, written by a British historian named Jack Ogden, who seems to specialize in the history of jewelry. Yeah, this is a great book. I've been reading this as well, and we'll reference this in uh, future uh, uh, topics we're discussing concerning diamonds. But yeah, uh, Ogden is a, what, a gemologist uh, in addition to a, an historian, so he knows his diamonds. Yeah, and in the section on poisoning by diamond, Ogden says that as far as he can tell, there is no scientific support for the belief that diamonds are poisonous. As one of the early sources to write extensively on this subject, Ogden cites the famous 11th century Persian scientist and scholar Al-Biruni, who was one of the great polymaths of the Islamic Golden Age, famously a master of many, many disciplines. So he wrote books on extremely varied subjects, everything from mathematics to astronomy, history, geography, and ethnography. He apparently produced a very important medieval book on the culture of India. In one section, Ogden talks about how Al-Biruni made a, a note of how appreciation for diamonds varied greatly by culture. And so while diamonds were, uh, he says, widely venerated for their ornamental value in India, he claimed that they were not equally venerated in neighboring regions like Iraq and Khorasan, which Khorasan at the time would have been a region corresponding to what is today parts of Iran, Afghanistan, and Central Asia. And in these latter regions, Al-Biruni said that diamonds were only used for drilling and for making poison. But did Al-Biruni think that they were actually effective as poison? No. Uh, he offered several lines of evidence against the idea that pieces of diamond could be used as, as poison, uh, the way that Cellini would later describe. First of all, he mentions a kind of logical problem with how these poisoning plots are supposed to work. He says, uh, if people were fed pieces of diamond as a poison, quote, if it has not been ground well, it will be betrayed by the teeth of the eater. Ugh, oh, God. <laughs> There's a lot of like uh, cringe inducing ideas here from uh, from from tooth tooth trauma, from crunching on a diamond to uh, to swallowing sharp things. Yeah, like even if it's gritty, you know, like that might be enough to make the target of your assassination either just send back the dish or it would raise their suspicion that someone was trying to poison them with diamonds, as we saw in our, our previous example. Uh, and, and certainly if the individual had a food taster as well, that would also uh, be, be some that would also be something that would tip your hand here and would alert your target that you were trying to do them in. Yeah, and interestingly, most of the the old stories about uh, poisonings uh, via via diamond powder concern very rich people in history, you know, and for I think probably obvious reasons that you know mm -hmm. diamond powder is probably not cheap to come by. So the people who were allegedly being poisoned by diamond powder were, you know, aristocrats, enemies of the Medici family, maybe, or uh, kings and queens, or popes, or sultans, things like that. But anyway, so Al-Biruni is saying, uh, presumably, if it were to be successfully snuck into someone's food, it would have to be pulverized into a very fine powder. But the second thing is Al-Biruni cites uh, experimental evidence. He, he says that uh, he and uh, maybe he or someone else tried feeding pieces of diamond to a dog and says that the dog showed no signs whatsoever of harm, neither immediately after the experiment nor any time later. He's like, yeah, dog's fine. Oh, wow. Is this the titular diamond dog, then? 
that had not occurred to me. I don't know. Now, that is some experimental evidence, though, on the other hand, that clearly would not meet the standards of a modern toxicology experiment, but, uh, but that, it, it's something, something to look at. Um, now, Albie Rooney, use, he puts all these considerations together and he says, you know, in the end, there, there's no basis for thinking diamonds are poisonous. He says that it is all idle talk. It's tall tales. But that did not stop lots of other people from believing it. Uh, Ogden mentions an account written by the 16th century English politician Jerome Horsey, who recorded comments made by the Russian czar Ivan the Terrible. Uh, I believe this was near the time of Ivan's death, uh, in which Ivan was going on about the godlike potency of the diamond. And he said, among other things, that, quote, the least parcel of it in powder will poison a horse with the implication, you know, how much more will it do to a human if it'll poison a horse? And I just wanted to mention a footnote of Ogden's where he says, uh, well, first of all, in this footnote, he says, you know, if you go trying to look up that comment of Ivan's, it is not in the edited published account of Jerome Horsey's travels in in Russia, but it is in his manuscript from which the edited account was produced. Uh, But then finally, he says, quote, whether Ivan's example of a horse was a deliberate pun on Horsey's name is unknown. (laughs) But Ogden also uh, mentions several records of people who uh, allegedly attempted to commit murders by slipping diamonds into people's food. So one was noted by a 16th century Portuguese doctor named Garcia del Horta or Garcia de Horta, who claims that a woman tried to kill her sick husband by feeding him ground up diamonds. And that didn't work. Another account takes place in early 17th century England. It's some kind of very messy uh, lover's dispute among aristocrats in which the wife of an earl wanted her marriage annulled so she could marry a different earl. Uh, But the guy who she wanted to get married to had an advisor who disapproved of her. So she wanted to kill the advisor so she could go ahead with the marriage to this other guy. But apparently at one point in this caper, she sent an associate to an apothecary to buy diamond powder. Uh, it was like, you know, we've got to have the diamond powder for poisoning, you know, whatever it costs, get it. And the apothecary was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she called him a fool. Uh, and she was eventually able to poison the advisor, but it seems like it was, uh, historians think it was probably with a different agent other than, than diamond. Now, Ogden mentions another 16th century physician, an Italian named Girolamo Cardano, who also commented on the use of diamonds as a poison and similar to Albiruni, cast doubt on the idea because he was like, you know, like there are cases where people steal diamonds by swallowing them and then later retrieving them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is there's no evidence that they suffered any harm. Now, you might think, well, but those are like whole intact diamonds. Maybe maybe swallowing a whole diamond is fine, but swallowing the ground up diamond powder is what's really dangerous. And uh, and Cardano also says he, he knows of at least one case where somebody had swallowed a big mass of diamond powder, quote, without prejudicing the health of the taker any more than if he had eaten so much bread. <laughs> Though this does make me wonder, okay, assuming diamonds, diamonds and diamond powder are not particularly poisonous, uh, how do they generally affect uh, digestion? Like I was thinking, you know, like are, is, is a diamond upset stomach a thing? Are diamond farts a thing? Hmm. Well, certainly the, I can see where the, the concept would be alluring because, I mean, it's kind of like the diamond dog thing. Like it, the diamond has just such linguistic weight. You know, it brings with it all these connotations of obscene wealth and 
and uh, and splendor, and we combine it with something that could be considered lowly, like a dog, uh, like the passing of gas. It instantly like zings in the brain, right? Yes, and and that kind of points to another thing. So Cardano's comment about stealing or smuggling diamonds by swallowing them. It really kind of makes me wonder about this this belief in the uh, poisonous power of diamonds. Like if this belief about death by diamond ingestion could trace back to people trying to prevent diamond theft or diamond smuggling, you know, like better not try to swallow it or hide it in your mouth. If you swallow it, it'll rip your guts apart. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. 
The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Ogden kind of comes up short looking for recent evidence of uh, experiments on the toxicity of diamonds, and he ends up having to look back to a uh, a letter written to the the journal Notes and Queries in 1875, which uh, claimed that quote the only possible way in which it diamond powder could be injurious would be as a mechanical irritant to the mucous membrane of the stomach. Uh, so I was kind of wondering, are there any more recent studies on the the toxicity of ground up of either diamonds in whole form or shattered diamonds or diamonds ground up into a powder. And I I did not directly find any good toxicology research on this. Uh, I did come across another just sort of like a compilation overview in a book on nanomedicine written by an author named Robert Freitas, who has written a lot of information that's freely available online. In, in his work, uh, Freitas collects a bunch of other claims from the history of diamonds, uh, but both claims of them working as poison but also as medicine. And this author writing, I think, in the early to mid-2000s, like 2003, 2005, it looked like these sources were dated. Uh, this author basically says that the evidence from history is inconclusive and that he's also not able to find any good recent toxicology studies on diamond powder ingestion. Uh, he does note that any abrasive, gritty powder ingested in sufficient quantities can cause problems. Like if you you just eat a bunch of sand, you know, you can get intestinal blockage. Uh, obviously, if you uh, not to be too super gross here, but if you, you know, you eat like a needle or something that is long and sharp, you can get perforations somewhere in the digestive system. So a lot of thing, a lot of, you know, non-food items, if eaten in sufficient quantities can hurt you. I mean, I guess even food items eaten in sufficient quantities can hurt you. Uh, but he says it looks like there's not strong modern evidence that diamond powder in particular is dangerous. However, I would say that does not mean you've got the green light to go eat it. Uh, his, his This guy's conclusion seems to be that there's not strong evidence that diamond powder is poisonous, but there's like enough concern that it would be worth studying to make sure, especially for people who are maybe exposed to it more often in their line of work. Mm. So to summarize my thoughts here, most of the actual accounts of diamonds used as poison, uh, as opposed to, you know, accounts as opposed to just free-floating factoids about how diamonds work and what they can do, the accounts seem to be either unsubstantiated rumors, or they conclude with the diamond poison not working, um, or the details seem a little slippery. However, the evidence on on whether diamonds are poisonous does still seem to be mixed. It seems like it's probably not any more poisonous than any other abrasive gritty powder, but we're far from 100% confidence on that, plus any powder in sufficient quantities could hurt you. So I'd still say it is probably better not to eat it. Yeah, there's just no reason to ingest uh, diamond dust. Like, <laughs> it's, on one hand, yes, it, it probably won't hurt you, but just to be safe, don't do it. And don't poison people. Obviously, that's <laughs> I think that's 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 a, something we stand by here on the show. Um, but even if you were uh, in the business of poisoning people, this would not be a good poison. This would be nothing you could rely on. So don't do it. 
Well, it makes me wonder about the, the sort of um, the literary appeal of the idea of diamonds as poison. You know, the same reason it mm-hmm. like struck us as interesting to talk about this on the show is that it seems unusual and like an extravagant type of poison. So I almost wonder if in some of these stories where it was allegedly used uh, to to poison people or to attempt to poison people, it should make us question the facts of the narrative because this is like a potent image of somebody using an extravagant, expensive luxury item to harm someone. And it's like packed with meaning, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of irony to it. Uh, this is exactly the kind of thing. And I don't know, it's a possible that either of these characters utilized some sort of fictional diamond poison at some point or another. But it's the kind of thing you could imagine uh, uh, Diabolic from Danger Diabolic yes. uh, using, you know, against his uh, his his rich enemies. Uh, and, and likewise, uh, for like modern film franchises, you could imagine the Jigsaw Killer from the Saw movies using something like this. It's just it, there's a little, it would be the perfect ironic death for some sort of like a uber rich villain. Right. Right. Or for somebody like uh, like Benvenuto Cellini, who is a goldsmith and a jeweler and a sculptor, somebody who worked Mm -hmm. with gold and jewels. I don't know if scholars of Cellini's life and memoirs would have more to say about that. But, yeah, it it seems like um, it seems fitting that his enemies would try to get him with a with a beautiful jewel that he might be something that he might have used in one of his works. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and close out this first episode of our look at diamonds, but we'll be back on Thursday with part two. We're going to kick that that off with some diamond basics. So if you're like, hold on, I still don't know what a diamond is. Don't worry. We're going to jump in with some of the basics at the beginning of the next episode, and then we'll get into more uh, like weird um, and uh, fascinating uh, elements of of the diamond's role and culture and belief and so forth. So uh, it should be a fun ride. In the meantime, we'll remind you that Stuff to Blow Your Mind is primarily a science podcast with core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Listener mail on Mondays. Uh, On Wednesdays, we do a short forum uh, artifact or monster fact episode. Uh, I think we're going to put together one on the salamander for tomorrow. And then on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird film on Weird House Cinema. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, J.J. Posway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. 
this time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 